Support for Sponsor Talk and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Welcome to the Sponsor Talk Podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways at how brands interact with properties within sports, film, music, the arts, you name it. I'm today's co-host, Avish Sood. You can follow me at Avish Sood on Twitter to engage with our Sponsor Talk community. And hopefully today you've learned something new about the industry and it keeps challenging you to think differently. Today's a special episode. We've got Natalie Bowman here, who is the Managing Director in Marketing and Advertising for Alaska Airlines. And we're really lucky to have her here to talk a little bit about sponsorships, but marketing in general. And uh, Natalie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's a, such a pleasure to have you here. And I know that we got connected um, through some fun community initiatives. So I'm, I'm so happy to actually get to, to chat with you about something um, that's close to my heart, which is sponsorship marketing. Yeah, you know, I discovered you when the Kraken did their brand launch. Mm -hmm. You did such a great, whatever the opposite of a takedown is, you you did a great uh, (laughs) recap of everything that they had done. And because we're sponsors of the Kraken, I was, you know, paying more attention to that. And so I'm so glad that we're connected now finally get to meet face to face. Me too. Um, And the Kraken is one I want to talk about today, but I I want to start off. Uh, you know, talking about your career journey, where you've been, it's, it's such an interesting one as I was kind of doing a little bit of research into uh, the episode today. And it's like, you've worked in marketing in a whole different bunch of industry, in a whole bunch of different industries from fashion to technology, to airline now, um, mm-hmm. to automotive in the past. So I, I'm curious, you know, what attracted you to marketing? And then also like, how have things changed as you work from category to category in your approach? Yeah, I um, have always known that I wanted to do marketing from a very young age in high school. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, My family is in the car industry, so automotive marketing was particularly interesting to me. I majored in marketing in college and went to work for Nissan right out of college with their management training program. So I was lucky enough to get right into a client side brand position in the first two years of my career, um, which I know for a lot of people, sort of the hardest thing to do is to break into the brand side of marketing, as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So luckily that happened for me very early. And since then have just stayed in marketing, have always loved it. I've tried to jump ahead of trends. So I took a digital role before digital was as pervasive as it is. I took a social role before social was as pervasive. And I think that has helped catapult my career quite a bit. Um, so it's, it's been a fun ride. Every industry is completely different and I continue to learn new things. The airline industry is the most complex of all of the industries that I've worked for. Um, so it's been a great learning experience. And it's cool to hear that you've, you've went from, you know, digital and social backgrounds before they became 
you know, a little bit more of the norm. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm curious, even from your standpoint, like, how, how does that change your thinking? Or how, how has that experience helped you as you think about the roles you've been in, um, you know, from, from what you were in, in Nissan to, to where you are now with Alaska Airlines? Yeah, I think it, it has made a huge difference, um, particularly in getting more leadership roles, because once you get to a certain point in your career, I think what happens, particularly with social, is more senior leaders think they're too old or too experienced to work in social. They view social as more junior work, um, sure. which now is absolutely not true, but it almost, I think, for some people feels like a step back. And so the fact that I did it much earlier in my career, I think my first social role was in 2009, 2008, 2009. Um, that is now something on my resume. I've done social and I've led teams that, done, that have done social that my peers don't have. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was a very smart move on my part. I don't know at the time that I was thinking it was that smart. I think I was probably more bored um, and just wanted to do something different and, and get a new experience. Yeah, and, and I'm starting to see a lot more brand marketers prioritize that area in terms of their growth. And, and it's, you know what, it's like a, it's a direct pipeline to the consumer. So when you learn to react to a lot of things that are happening in the social realm, you can better understand, you know, how your, your consumer is thinking and, and how to react to them. And I think that's a great background to have. Yeah. Um, take us through a typical week now, you know, obviously you've been with Alaska for, for quite a while now. Um, how have things changed, you know, pre pandemic now and, and what does your typical week look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, our world obviously was rocked with COVID more than several, you know, more than other industries, I think. Um, so a lot of the first few months of COVID for us, um, was, figuring out how we needed to communicate with our guests, who needed reassurance um, for the people who wanted to fly or continued to fly or had to fly for their livelihoods or jobs. We wanted to, they felt reassured. At the same time, we were trying to find the right balance of, um, we didn't want to compete on safety or cleanliness with the other airlines because it's just not a safe topic. You, you want everyone to believe that all airlines are doing the most that they can from a cleanliness and safety standpoint. And I believe that they are. Um, so that was also a really challenging element from a communication standpoint. So we spent a lot of time doing that. Now we're in a place where we feel like there's light at the end of the horizon, people are getting vaccines. So now we can talk about the future. We can more fully encourage travel while still being safe and, and making sure that people are adhering to all the, the local rules. So our approach has now shifted quite a bit, um, which is, is fun and exciting to get back to yeah. talking about travel, which is something everyone loves to, to talk about. So a typical week for me, um, I have, uh, I'm an early riser. So I usually start my day at seven, 7.30 in the morning. I, Monday through Thursday, I'm back-to-back meetings. Um, I oversee social sponsorships, advertising media. We run an internal brand studio, um, email, content on our website. So a typical day could have me meeting on any of those topics. Um, you know, I try to meet with my directs and leadership team 
touch bases every week and then a group leadership meeting once a week as well so that we stay really connected. One of the big pushes that I'm making with my team is we're currently organized by channel and that sometimes can create silos. And so we wanna shift to be more of a content driven. You have one piece of content and then you can easily cut it into Mm -hmm. thing that works for every channel and is optimized for every channel. And so that's requiring a lot more cross team collaboration, Um, but we're getting much better at it and it's starting to become sort of natural for us to do that. Yeah, it's interesting you're going down that path because I think a lot of companies are moving towards it where it's there's a lot of efficiencies driven by having cuts of different types of creative, um, but then also that cross-functional element of bringing everyone together to, to kind of work together on some of those projects. So not only is a team building um, at, the, at the hope of it, you know, you're also finding more efficient practices internally. Yeah, we are. And one of the things I've been pushing my team on a lot of channels. And I think a lot of brands are, are guilty of this or channel owners are guilty of this is there are sort of these standard best practices that everybody knows about every channel and mm-hmm. adhere to them. And I push my team to, to blow that up a little bit and question every best practice that we assume. You know, mm-hmm. a good example is if you send too many emails, your unsubscribe rate will go up. Yes, that's been true in the past, but do we feel confident that that is still true today? Mm-hmm. And so with all of those metrics, we've really tried, I've really been pushing my team to think differently, make sure the best practice is still truly a best practice. And in doing that, we're uncovering some great insights and things that we might have believed were true that are no longer true. Um, so that's been fun for us to, to play around with. And I think social is a great spot for this because people learn about the algorithm, but the algorithm changes so much that what you believed was true to trick the algorithm six months ago is no longer valid and you have to change your strategy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's coming back to whatever the insight is versus what the data is telling you, right? So, and I think that's, that's a key thing for a lot of marketers to take away is, you know, there are best practices, there are things that are industry standard, but you can challenge those in order to get the right creative to the right person at the right time. And yes. uh, as long as the insight is there, I think that's, that's a great takeaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So what I would like to talk about, and I know you mentioned safety a little bit, you know, how have your marketing communications changed this year and, and moving forward into 2021? You know, I know you talked a little bit about safety precautions and including messaging around that, but um, you know, what's, what's kind of diff- been different this year? Yeah, so when we started the the COVID-related push for cleanliness and safety, we branded the initiative Next Level Care um, because we saw that we had taken over 100 different actions, whether it was the HEPA filters that we were using or the electrostatic spraying, handing out sanitizing wipes. There was just this laundry list of actions. And so that's a lot for someone to consume. So we wanted to give it a branded name. Um, So we did Next Level Care. And that has been in market now for seven or eight months. Um, Just recently, though, we have shifted to telling the story in a more brand appropriate way that is leaning into our sort of delight and our desire to wow and make people smile. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we just launched a, a music video slash ad called Safety Dance, which is a play on the 80s song Safety Dance that we came up with new lyrics for Alaska. That ad features our employees um, 
but it still delivers all of the same information that next level care was delivering. It still talks about HEPA filters. It talks about requiring masks, um, but it does it in a much more engaging way. And it's been hugely well-received. Um, see, we were on the homepage of CNN. We've gotten a lot of national coverage. The Surgeon General tweeted about it yesterday. Um, okay, what, what did he say? say like, <laughs> he, it was really great because he tweeted and basically said, you know, he's not ready to say that people should travel, mm-hmm. um, but he's like, but if you do, like, this is, this is how you do it, and <laughs> yeah. do it safely. And he linked to the video And I just, that was amazing. Like, I can't think of a time when a, you know, a major government official has shared a television ad Mm -hmm. um, like that. So that, that spoke, I think a lot. I think we, we really nailed it with the way we tell that story. Um, We'll see if SNL, uh, it feels like it's ripe for an SNL parody. So let's see how that goes what happens Saturday night. Yeah. And, and for anyone listening, I, I encourage you to go to check out the video. It's, it's really fun. And it takes a concept of, you know, safety precautions that we always hear in airlines and, and really brings it to life um, in, a, in a fun way that's relevant to 2020. So Natalie, that was awesome. And, and to hear that employees were involved, how did that come about? Like, was that something when you were thinking about the creative um, that was like a must have? Yeah, for sure. So our, um, you know, we try to feature our employees whenever possible, because anyone who knows the Alaska Airlines brand, um, our employees are the first thing you hear about. It's just, they're the most genuine, caring people that you could ever imagine. Um, And so whenever we do advertising, we try whenever possible to feature employees. We have a drill team for our flight attendants. So it's a drill team that, you know, performs at company meetings, they do parades and things like that. And so the captains of the drill team are actually the four flight attendant dancers that are on screen most of the time. And then we just sought out volunteers from a couple of the other work groups mm-hmm. to make sure that we had representation. Um, so very fun process. And, and that campaign almost didn't come out this week. It, it mm-hmm. definitely was, you know, there were a lot of conversations about is this the right time? It, will it feel insensitive? Um, there was a big risk for us because in the past, when we talk about travel, we would get a little bit of blowback on Facebook or even government officials saying, okay, you guys shouldn't be encouraging travel. And so we were trying to be very strategic and thoughtful about the launch date. Um, And luckily our campaign launched when the vaccine, when people were seeing visuals of the vaccines coming out and people Mm -hmm. get vaccines. And so I think the combination of those really helped. And, and what goes into those conversations? Because I, I do feel like a lot of companies are dealing with that. Is this the right time for a message? Are we, are we being insensitive a little bit? Like, I know there's a lot of internal discussions that happens around creative launches. Um, you know, what happened internally for you guys? And how, how did you make the decision that, yes, let's go ahead with this? Yeah, you know, our push, obviously, with airline recovery has been slow and we have a lot of open seats. We have aircraft flying um, that are not even halfway full. And mm-hmm. um, we really wanted to, you know, to help sort of give the the business a boost and, and drive more bookings, even for future. Like it's not really about traveling in the next few months. It's about sure. booking for summer. Um, and our fares are lower than they've ever been. Um, the deals are so good. And so it just feels like this is kind of a once in a, 
you know, once in a decade opportunity where RM is giving a RM is revenue management. That's the mm-hmm. team sets the fares. Um, it's rare to have such great deals available for all of these flights in the summer. And so when you have that, it's sort of like having a brand new product. You want to talk about it. You want to make sure that people know that it's out there. And so a lot of that need to, to help the business was driving those conversations and then balancing that with potential risk. Mm-hmm. And where we came to is we felt like enough people are ready to think about the future we saw more positive sentiment. Um, we even did a couple of tests, social posts, just to get mm-hmm. an idea. Um, Cause that's always a great indicator and early read of how people are gonna react. And so we continue to just see very positive reception to that. And that made us feel good about doing it. But we had a, we had a backup plan, a plan B if things didn't sure. go well. Um, but luckily everything has been going really well. And so we're amping up our exposure and mm-hmm. uh, making sure that we put it in more places, particularly in California, where we've grown quite a bit over the past few years and have a a desire to build up even more um, new flyers there in California. Yeah. And, and what I think is really cool is that, you know, it's, it's feeling like you're building a brand identity or like a very distinct um, look and feel with, with a lot of the creative that I've been seeing from Alaska recently. And it's like, um, you know, you're not necessarily setting it up for now travel as much as you are setting the baseline for how people perceive the brand long-term, right? That's and, right. And I think that's awesome. Um, and so I'd lo- like leaning into that, I'd love to talk to you about brand identity and purpose and how, um, you know, as one of the most beloved airlines and brands in the Northwest region, like, what, what differentiates you from other airlines and, and kind of what drives the success for you guys in a clear way? Yeah. So our brand purpose is creating an airline people love. Um, for people in the Pacific Northwest, you say, when I tell them I work at Alaska Airlines, the first thing they say, I love Alaska Airlines. It's the only brand I've ever worked for. And I worked mm-hmm. for very, you know, brands that have huge amount of loyalty. Land Rover, Range Rover is a great example but the amount of love that people have for Alaska Airlines is just over the top. Um, and so that love really, as, a, as the brand owner, you want to protect that love in the Pacific Northwest. You don't want to do anything to lose that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we also need to grow in California. And we have a huge presence on the West Coast. And so our biggest brand challenge is our name. Mm-hmm. That we are Alaska Airlines. We have an Alaska native on the tail mm-hmm. uh, that makes people believe that we only fly to Alaska or that we're very regional. And so if you don't live in the Pacific Northwest, we seem like this just hyper regional brand when in fact we're not, we have the most nonstops from the West coast to Hawaii, to Mexico. We fly more flights from LA to New York city than mm-hmm. any airline. Um, so it just, we, we have a lot of awareness and perception challenges to get over, but at the core, that love, once someone experiences us, we know our employees kick in and they create the brand love for us. It's really just my job to get someone on the plane because once we get them on the plane, our employees do the rest, um, which is, is a great, I, I couldn't be more thankful for, for that kind of brand, um, strength to have. It's, it's a good, it's a good thing to have for sure. Um, and you talked about, you know, all the positive sentiment you've received from people 
Um, one of the cool things I noticed last year was that, um, you know, you, you had this ugly holiday sweater Christmas theme um, for flight attendants, for, you know, um, for anyone that was wearing an ugly Christmas sweater, they were actually given priority boarding. Um, so sometimes it's those little things that can over time build a lot of positive sentiment. You know, how much do you prioritize those, those kind of initiatives that, you know, Alaska does? Those are incredibly important. For me, those are more important to me than the brand campaigns that we run. Hmm. Um, I think that that is how we differentiate ourselves. That's how we get more national attention. So ugly sweater is a great example. An ugly sweater started as a social stunt. The, hmm. Our social media manager brought that idea to me three or four years ago. And for, for her, it was just, let's do a social stunt you know, get some attention for it short term. And now it has turned into this huge initiative that we do every year and it has a fair sale associated with it. It's become a big deal. Mm -hmm. So our goal is to have, you know, four to six of those big hits every year. Um, Swell Fairs is another one that we've been known for that we've now repeated, which is based on the, the, um, the swells for surfing we lower the fares. So if the swells are super high, we make it even more compelling for surfers to fly to Hawaii to go surf. And so it's data-driven sale. um, And so that, that kind of activity has worked really well for us. And I think it helps differentiate us. And luckily with, you know, having one leader oversee everything, we can be very nimble. We can move quickly with these things. We're not sort of siloed by whether the email team can activate as quickly as the social team, everyone can rally and make these things happen. Um, so it, it really is, I think, one of our competitive strengths is our ability to be this nimble and creative and, and have fun with marketing. It, it doesn't always have to be a, you know, a beautiful 60 second anthem video to, mm-hmm. to make impact. I, I, I love that takeaway. I, like, especially the last part of it, because I think as brand marketers, a lot of us look at the master brand creative and like this hero anthem spot on TV and how it'll trickle down into digital and social and things like social posts that you've done have actually had the lat- like the opposite effect opposite. where, where right. it's, it's been brought into something much bigger that could be that anthem for you. But because you've tested it out in smaller doses, um, it's allowed you to kind of get consumer feedback real quick and then apply changes to something bigger, which is awesome. That's right. And I don't know as a marketing leader, had I not managed or done social myself, if I would have been able to make that leap. You Mm -hmm. know, I think it's Mm -hmm. the fact that I've been in social and I can see the future potential of something that helps me kind of amplify or give more air to, to these ideas that seem small or channel focused at first and actually can blow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I need, I think more brands are going to start thinking like that as, as time moves on, but I love the fact that your social background has actually helped, um, you know, with, with some of these concepts that you're bringing forward, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So we haven't talked about sponsorships yet. And, and I think we, we really should. Um, yeah. You did talk a lot about regionality and a priority in California um, I, I want you to talk a little bit about your strategy with sponsorships, how regional plays help with that and, and where you're going with, with partnership properties. Yeah. So sponsorships at Alaska is a really interesting um, 
channel for us. So I spend almost a third of my marketing budget on sponsorships, which for my previous roles and other companies is just a huge percentage. That's that's huge. That's huge for me. Massive. Yeah. And it's really driven from the fact that our executive team, um, I mean, they're sports fans, so that, Mm -hmm. that helps. But when they look historically at the times when Alaska has been most successful and has really leapfrogged from a performance standpoint, there were sports sponsorships that contributed to that. And the biggest being um, we're on the kit for the Portland Timbers. And that coincided with a huge growth in our market share in Portland. And then signing on with Russell Wilson, his rookie year. Mm-hmm. Which, Russell which is, is Super Bowl year, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I think it was a year before Super Bowl, but I could be wrong. Okay. Or someone will correct us and let us know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it, um, you know, that those two things. And now Russell Wilson, I can't imagine there's a fan of his out there that doesn't know that he is Alaska's, it, that he is endorsed by Alaska. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, we're as directly tied to Russell in the Pacific Northwest as the team he plays for. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two things I think have really just led our executives to feel confident in sponsorships. And so Whereas I think a lot of brand marketers have to prove the value of sponsorships or justify the investment. We don't have those conversations. They, they believe in it. Mm-hmm. And because it was successful in the Pacific Northwest, when we went to expand to California after we acquired Virgin America, finding big sports sponsor, sport sponsorships in California was really critical. So it was replicate what has worked for us in the Pacific Northwest. And so a few years ago, we signed on with um, with the San Jose Sharks, the LA Galaxy, Kevin Durant, and um, we took over. Virgin America was already a sponsor of the San Francisco Giants, and so we took over and extended the deal with the San Francisco Giants. So we had a big sports uh, presence in the Pacific Northwest, mostly mm-hmm. the Bay Area, um, in order to build the brand in California to get to the level of brand loyalty that we have in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And so there's obviously a lot of properties within the California region. When, when people are talking to you or in those initial phases of choosing which properties to partner with, how, how do you choose? Like, what was the thought process behind some of that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think there are a couple of things, obviously with the giants, it was a, it was an easier conversation because Virgin America had already solidified that relationship and it really made sense for us to take it over Um, The San Jose Sharks was driven primarily by location because San Jose is a really critical market for us. That airport, um, we think, has a huge amount of potential to take traffic away from San Francisco. And so San Jose Sharks was a natural connection with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kevin Durant was similar to let's, you know, take the success with Russell and rather than sponsoring the whole team, Mm -hmm you find the most high profile player and forge a personal relationship with him. Um, and it was fantastic while he was with the warriors, but once he moved to the East coast, mm-hmm. it didn't make as much sense for us to continue that relationship. And so that was one that we let expire um, primarily because it wasn't certain, not because of Kevin, we, we loved Kevin and mm-hmm. wanted him to be successful. It was, we needed a star in the Bay area. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we have to make those, those trade-offs and we are always, I, I would say I'm feeling a little over-invested in sports right now. 
Um, particularly yep. with the addition of the Kraken, which is a huge, um, that's our largest deal by far. And so and I do want to talk about that deal after. So yeah, we should. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say I'm not necessarily looking for new sports properties, but, but when we are the, the fan loyalty and overlap with our target flyer is the most mm-hmm. critical. So is the person who's going to be super excited about that team, the same person who's going to be super excited about flying Alaska airlines and mm-hmm. most sports you have it. Luckily, um, mm-hmm. the target audiences, there's a fair amount of overlap. Um, but that that's really the, the driving factor. And then, you know, we're still a small, we're the fifth largest airline, but we still have very small budgets. And so mm-hmm. teams, I just can't talk to. And, you know, when all of the LA stadiums were, <clears throat> were being built, we were constantly getting pitched for signing on with those stadiums and those deals are just ginormous. <laughs> yeah. I can't, even if it would be great for our brand, we just, we can't afford to, the, to think about that. Yeah. And, and it's like, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about some of the stadium naming rights deals because they're so long-term and it's hard to commit to something for, for that long of a tenure. But I think this is good feedback overall, because a lot of people that listen to the pod are, you know, working at properties, kind of thinking about how they they should be approaching brands. And I think the feedback you gave is, is, is really impactful for, for anyone that's listening. Um, Okay. So Kraken, I think, so that's, we started at the beginning. That is how we met. Um, I do want to preface this with, I am a Seattle Kraken fan now after the (laughs) launch of the, of the campaign. And I think that, you know, one thing that was really interesting to me was how they built storytelling into their brand from the start. And it was very consumer centric. They took a lot of research and developed the architecture of who they were. And they kind of did it, um, you know, in a way that not a lot of sports teams do. So I'm curious from your standpoint, you know, the deal is new. The team didn't exist when you were negotiating the deal. So Mm -hmm. how did that deal come about? How much were you allowed to know prior to the actual launch of the team? And, and, and tell us just your thoughts on, on how you approached it. Yeah. So in Seattle, as we've talked about Alaska airlines, we have huge brand loyalty. We have no brand awareness problems whatsoever. Um, we sponsor Russell Wilson. We sponsor the Seattle storm. We sponsor the Seattle Mariners. So we have plenty of sports coverage and, um, we had this focus on California, a need mm-hmm. to grow California. And so I was very hesitant at first when we, you know, when we know the NHL team is coming and they had sold out all their season tickets, you sort of, you knew it was coming that, um, they were going to start reaching out to us. Leaders were going to start talking. And we really, there were two real big things driving us. One is we have a major competitor in the Pacific Northwest. Um, mm-hmm. who I, I know a lot of, th- they might listen. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't want to see their name on mm-hmm. the trip to be, you know, in all honesty, we did not want to see them involved in this. And the second more important than this is this is the biggest thing to happen in Seattle from an entertainment perspective. It's the Seattle center where the space needle is. It's basically like the, the heartbeat of the city is where this arena is now climate pledge arena. But even then we didn't know what it was going to be called. Um, and it really boiled down to, it was hard to imagine something so big happening in Seattle without us being involved. Mm-hmm. And that really became what drove our involvement and why we were there. Um, because if they're going to be the core heartbeat of the city, um, we needed to be with them. 
-hmm. And so initial conversations, um, you know, we never really like naming rights. I think we asked for a price tag, but that was never our objective. Um, But what I did want was something that was incredibly prominent for the brand that would become just part of Seattle vernacular. Mm -hmm. And so what we sponsor is called the Alaska Atrium. And it's essentially the front door and the front lobby of the arena. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that when people are meeting up for a game or a concert, they're not going to say, let's meet at the Climate Pledge Arena. They're going to say, I'll meet you in the Alaska Atrium. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have a good branding opportunity there where we can get more credit. And there's street level signage where you can see Alaska Atrium. So I think they, they packaged it in a way that worked really well for us and for our budgets. The team that manages um, all of the negotiations, they're called the Oakview Group. They're just phenomenal partners, um, worked with us very collaboratively, um, understood what we were trying to achieve. I think it was probably one of the easiest negotiations that I've had because there was mutual respect on both sides. Um, Todd Lewicki, who is the GM of the team, or who's the president of the team, um, he was actively involved and really, you know, acted as a salesperson as well to close the deal. Mm-hmm. It, we had no preview of, um, of the brand until I think maybe the day before um, when they sent us merch, um, because when they that's did the, the day launch, the la- sorry, that's the day before the launch, the day before the launch, <laughs> they sent merchandise so that we could shoot it for social. So one of the first things that we had was a flag with the branding that we took to a pilot and the pilot out of the aircraft window. And so Mm -hmm. there were some of those, but before that, I mean, we had been given a couple of clues. Um, So, you know, we knew that it was gonna be based on Pacific Northwest sort of lore, um, but really had no idea. And obviously there were, there was a short list of names locally that Mm -hmm. were, going around and occasionally someone would notice that a URL had been reserved. And so that would set off a firestorm of speculation, Um, but they kept it a great secret. So, you know, a lot of the like color palette and all of that, I was thrilled to see, because I just think it's probably some of the most beautiful sports branding that has come out um, in a very long time. So we're really really pleased with it. And it's a great team. They're, they're super fun to work with. Um, you know, in managing seven or eight different professional sports teams, you definitely get to know which ones are good at it and mm-hmm. are great partners and which ones aren't. And so um, I really have a lot of respect for the Kraken team and we can't wait to watch hockey. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. And I think it's cool because I'm getting to see your perspective and you know, I think about a, two months ago, we had Heidi Detmer and um, Jeff Webster from Oakview Group, yeah, both good. on the podcast here to talk oh, about good. the Kraken. And, and it's just so interesting to hear that, like, there was such little information that could be shared. But at the same time, the enthusiasm from the partners, the brands they brought on board were very aligned to what their brand was going to be. So one of the cool things that I I really admire about how they treated that brand was they distinctly said, this is who we are. And they built the storyline. They built the color palettes, all of that around that messaging. And then they tried to align with brands that fit in with, with what they were building. Right. So Amazon, Alaska, um, you know, some of those brands, like, like they're not necessarily, um, 
like the the number one um, brand yeah. in their space or like a big sports sponsorship player, but okay. they really fit in nicely. Like, and I would say like from your perspective, I know diversity inclusion is a huge um, pillar for Alaska Airlines. Um, it's also a huge pillar for crack, the Kraken and, mm -hmm. and just seeing those nuances of little things that are attaching themselves to why the partnership fits is, is, not, is kind of refreshing in the sports world. And I, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, our external relations team that oversees our community initiatives and sustainability initiatives, she, she, the VP of that team was one of the biggest advocates of this relationship because she saw the value in how Oakview Group was focusing on engaging with the community, everything they're doing around sustainability, which is going to become a big focus for us as well, mm -hmm. um, really aligns nicely. And my my hypothesis about why the Kraken in particular was so strong in that area is I think a lot of other sports teams tend to rely on their celebrity athlete and that mm -hmm. everything they do becomes about the team's performance or whoever their marquee player is. I think as much about building the brand, they think about celebrating whatever success they're having on the field, mm -hmm. the arena, and the Kraken don't they don't have that yet. They don't have players to talk about. They don't have a record to talk about. And so in some ways, I think it's given them that white space to think of, about it more as a brand yes. and more as a, like, let me bring you my star player and everything features the star player. Cause we definitely have partner teams where we never have a conversation about the brand. We have a conversation about, you know, this, this guy's really hot. You should feature him in your ads. And that's not exactly what we're looking for in these relationships. It's, I, I, I tell, I talk to people a lot about this, um, you know, at some point when sports marketing transitions more into brand marketing and you really treat the sports property as more of a, of a brand where like, you know, exactly what your purpose is, who you're targeting, what you're driving. I think a lot of those elements are there, but sometimes the focus is so much on the on-field product, like you said, um, where you, you know, when you have someone like the Kraken or someone like, you know, um, Vegas's hockey team, they're coming in fresh without any players, like you said, and they have to build it like a brand. And I think that's what a lot of sports properties moving forward will, will kind of want to replicate and go back into the core of what and who they are. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about fun stuff. Um, out sponsorships, always fun, but yes. like, let, I want to, I want to know about your flying habits, you know, obviously, um, advice for young professionals. There's so many things that I'd probably want to, um, talk to you about, but you know, when, when is your next trip? Where, where do you plan on going? Um, and, and what's vacation look like for you down the road? Let's say when things getting uh, a little bit, a little bit better. Yeah. Um, you know, I, so I don't have a trip on the horizon right now. My family loves traveling and, they're all super anxious to get out there. Um, we, so we have a partnership with Disneyland and are lucky enough to do programs with them. And so my kids are used to two or three annual Disneyland trips per year. They're feeling very deprived of that right now. Um, we go to Palm Springs quite a bit for sun. Um, and so if I had to guess, I would say our next trip is probably to Palm Springs or somewhere else sunny. Um, maybe spring break, we'll, we'll head down there. I, you know, personally, when, when there's not COVID going on, um, 
we like, I like to travel with our photographer. We have a staff photographer and go to some of the markets we fly to, to capture social content, to capture lifestyle and digital content that we can use um, to tell stories of those markets. And so during COVID, we've added all these really cool new locations like Jackson Hole, Wyoming, um, Bozeman, Montana. And so I would love to start to get on the road more um, to, to check those out. I was lucky enough to fly with our president to Hawaii in October when Hawaii reopened. So we flew flew to Hawaii so that we could get, go through the experience so we could understand what our guests are going to go through because they have a testing requirement. You have to wait in line, prove your positive test. Um, and then we met with the governor of Hawaii. And what was a really awesome outcome of that is Alaska is now the first airline with a what's called a pre-clear program where when you show your negative test, I said positive test, I meant negative. Negative, yeah. negative test, you get a wristband. So that when you land at the airport in Hawaii, you just show your wristband and you can walk on through. Hmm. And so seeing something like that be the outcome of a big meeting that we did was a, was a great feeling. And the flight and trip to Hawaii was perfect. It was just like it had been sort of pre-COVID, except everyone had masks and there were fewer people on the beach in Hawaii. Um, so I'm not afraid to travel. It's really more just the logistics of where can I take my family? I have three yeah. kids. So where can I take my family where we can actually do stuff, where we can eat at restaurants or, you know, swim at a pool. And right now there aren't that many places open. Yeah. And, and so with three kids, what, what are some things that you're taking with you when you are traveling? Like, what are some key items that are always with you? Uh, their screens. <laughs> <laughs> their iPads. <laughs> <laughs> that is, um, you know, my kids, my kids are great travelers. They, you know, they know, they know which snack boxes they like to order. Um, but it really just having the screens is enough for them. So we don't typically take a lot of other things. Alaska has a cute little kid snack box that has like wiki sticks that they can play with and you can get coloring books on board. So I don't usually bring much of that stuff. We'll, we'll just ask the flight attendant for it if we need it. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, I, and I, I, I'd be missing something if I didn't get a chance to ask you about career advice for, you know, younger you, but also people that are thinking about careers in either um, the aviation world or uh, like if from a marketing lens or um, in marketing in general. And so I'd love to know, like, if you look back on your career, is there certain things you would tell yourself, um, like what you would do differently? Are there any things that you wish you kind of knew prior to your career now? I mean, the first piece of advice I would give young me is to always negotiate your salary and ask for more money because there were times in my career where I was given an offer and I accepted the offer as is. Mm -hmm. Now looking back, it's just insane to me. Um, so I think younger people knowing that most, most HR departments or teams can flex their salary up as much as 15 to 25%. Mm -hmm. Not all, but a lot of times what they're giving you is much lower than what they're actually approved to offer. So don't be afraid to ask for more. No one has ever withdrawn an offer because someone asked for more money. And I think that was always my fear as a young, yeah. um, you know, a young marketing person. I thought, oh, if I seem too greedy or whatnot, they're going to take the offer away and offer it to someone else. And it, it's literally, I can't imagine that has ever happened in real life. 
Um, so that's one. I, I think the embracing a trend and getting ahead of it when you see that it's going to have the potential is really important. Um, you know, traditional advertising, while I think there's still an aura of sort of sexiness or prestige with doing television ad campaigns and working with advertising agencies, that is not the future of marketing. And so not holding that up as the holy grail of, of your marketing career um, and really being willing to move into to MarTech. I mean, if I think I, if I were young right now, I would want to get more experience in MarTech. Um, you know, I would want to have that under my belt. I think mobile is, is also a big opportunity that is underserved by market, by advertising opportunities. Um, so I think that being nimble and not being afraid to have a couple of moves on your resume. I think I tended to stay, like I was at Microsoft, I was at Land Rover for five years. I was at Microsoft for almost 10. So I, I had a tendency to stay in places for a long time mm-hmm. because I was very happy and I was being promoted in those places, but it's not the end of the world if you only do one or two years somewhere just to get that learning under your belt. Um, so don't be afraid of making a mistake because you're infinitely hireable and can always find another opportunity. Um, I think that, you know, those are my best. Don't piss anyone off. <laughs> I think that's good feedback around. for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really amazing how people from your career, you know, 15 years ago show up in your inbox with a sales pitch or something like it, it all comes back around. Yeah. And I think um, <laughs> that's great advice in general. Um, I, I really like the advice of, of kind of going back and telling yourself that you can ask for more that you shouldn't be afraid to have those conversations. I think even for me, I struggled with that early on in my career. I still struggle with that, um, is is having those uncomfortable compensation conversations. But, you know, be confident in yourself, right? And I think that's right. it's, it's a great takeaway, Natalie. I love that. Good. Okay, well, that's, that's, I mean, I'm sure we could talk a lot about so many things, but um, it's all the time we have today. And, and I'm so appreciative of you coming on and uh, being a part of the podcast. Yeah, this was so fun. I love that, that you're doing this. Thank you. All right, Natalie, thank you. As always, thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and the sponsorship space on LinkedIn to join and engage with our community. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and have a great day.